Welcome on into the show. My name is Stephen Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the professor, the history professor. It's Benny Horowitz. What's I up, like dude? that. Oh, <laughs> Professor Horowitz. It's 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 maybe my second or third uh, most wanted title besides for a musician and rock drummer that I could want. Professor Horowitz. The other one I'd like is uh, statistician. Horowitz. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Leave me on the side of uh, an NBA court uh, tallying rebounds. <laughs> and I think I'd be pretty happy to. No doctor, no love doctor. Nah, too much. Listen, just, you know, it's um, a common misconception is that if somebody is smart, they're good at school. <laughs> <laughs> I like to read. Yeah. I like to stay up on my shit. I am bad at school for yeah. a variety of reasons. Yeah. So, yeah. so doctor, I, doctor, I'm still going, you know, this as well as anyone honorary degree. Oh yeah. If I get called doctor, <laughs> it's going to be more like, Hey doctor, get the papers. <laughs> yeah. What about boss? I've been a boss before. Yeah. I'm actually, I, I feel like I was a pretty good boss. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a good manager. Yeah. I'm, uh, sensitive to people's, you know, feelings and emotions. I can see when things are wrong and try to puppet master a room. I think I was a pretty good manager, man, and very intense. And what's funny is when I was a manager, it was a newspaper, and most of my frame of reference was Robert Duval from the movie <laughs> The Paper by Ron Howard. He's a very salty old guy, you know, like a uh, great character, but. A salty old guy uh, uh, seemingly dying of lung cancer was my example of how to act when I was managing a newspaper. Uh, well, you know, I tried to set myself up for the transition here. didn't really land it. And you did a great job swatting that out way, like the Kennedy Matumbo. But brand new track for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, the thing with the Bruce track was like, you know... Uh, in a lot of ways, I was. It, it, it's a defense mechanism. It's it's the the product of being a child from a broken home. Is that I don't want to be happy until anything happens. You know what I mean. So until like this thing was like on the record, mastered, delivered, sent to the press, I was like, I don't know, probably not going to happen. You know what I mean. And that was like my headspace. And then it started to happen and I'm still in like critical kind of like music mode, you know, where I'm like, oh, is the track right? Is the mix right? And there was even like an editing mistake on the first one that I caught. So, you know, then I'm in that mode and then I'm in the car like two days ago. And of course, I download the, the track to add one more download to our numbers. Um, and, you know, I'm listening. I'm in the car with my kids and like. I was like, oh, shit, that's me playing drums. I'm that's Bruce, Bruce Springsteen singing. What the fuck? <laughs> OK, you know, and it all kind of like, you know, the the real became surreal really fast. And yeah. it's been uh, the last couple of days. It's been a, it's been a trip like uh, just a personal one. You know, I'm, I'm not really tuned into like social media and the reaction too much. So I don't know what's going on out there. But on a personal level, it's been a. Uh, it's been very surreal and very cool. It's been good. Let me tell you. As yeah, someone people like it. People okay. like it. You know, you've gotten the write-ups. People love my favorite headline. I think Rolling Stone had this. They're like, Bruce Springsteen joins Gaslight Anthem. 
Like frame that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not the other way around. I know. So yeah. So it's, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's but crazy. Uh, the, the track is called history books. Y'all in case you don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. True. Uh, yeah. Any, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally, Come on, producer. You got to set those up, baby, for I everyone. Not, I had all of this stuff about, you know, coming up about, you know, Barbenheimer, all of these great setups. What if we got our first listener today who tuned in? It's like, what the fuck are they talking about? I that guy's a drummer? Barbenheimer. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> but right. uh, Gaslight Anthem, History of Books featuring Bruce Springsteen dropped last week. Go listen to yeah, it. If Go you're tuning in for the first time, I'm a drummer in a rock band. <laughs> I talk about other stuff and Bruce Springsteen sang on my song. Pretty cool. Boom. Yeah, thanks. That's thanks it. for tuning in. <laughs> well, that was a great day in music history, but let's talk about some other great days in music history with this day in music history. Do, 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 do. All right, got that out of the way. Benny, what do you got? Well, you kind of fucked me over with great days in music history. Not this day in music <laughs> history, because I willingly chose not the happiest story in the world. So in 1972, Bobby Ramirez, the 24-year-old drummer who uh, used to play with Edgar Winter in the group White Trash, was touring with Uriah Heep, is beaten to death in a Chicago barroom brawl after patrons complain about the length of Ramirez's hair. Oh, no. Now, I brought this up for a couple of reasons. A, something sort of similar about a culture war is going to come up later in this episode. So I'll have to highlight the fact that sometimes being alternative and being counterculture does put you in the crosshairs of some crazy fucks. Uh, also noted, I did a show in Asbury Park at the Trinity Church last weekend and was told by their promoters that they had a Nazi attack at one of their shows where they threw smoke bombs in there and like really went out. So this is this is real, people. Grow your hair out, grow a mustache, because the culture war is real. <laughs> Choose a side. But uh, Bobby Ramirez was taking a piss at this bar. Somebody mentioned something about his long hair, became an altercation, and, and he died on tour. Um, now, like, this was a crazy story because, A, the guy kind of looks like me. You know, I've been going for the 70s thing. <laughs> and Bobby Ramirez was looking nice. Like, he had long brown hair. <laughs> swooped over a nice mustache like he was doing it for real and he's basically like the person i'm stealing the look from so that was a little alarming that i kind of looked like him and also i've been in situations like this you know i've been in random parts of america random parts in europe where i've run into the wrong group of people where you don't have the right numbers and you're in kind of a visitor situation you don't know what's going on who these people are how many there are and uh, this is like the other side, like the danger of like, you know, getting out there and doing the thing and standing up for something, you know. Uh, so I wanted to give a little love to Bobby Ramirez, put some put some heart on his name for for fighting the good fight. Someone talks shit about your long hair. It's probably about something else. You probably should knock him in the nose, you know. You know, I, I don't know if this is my age, but. I don't think people really get on the long hair thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely a reaction to the Vietnam kind of thing, I think, at the time, you know, because there was a an obvious delineation with hair going on at that point. So I do think having long hair in 1972 is definitely more of a political or cultural statement, I'm sure, than it is now. 
it's so funny like like the quote-unquote counterculture stuff like the long hair the tattoos all of that stuff now is pretty co-opted jason momoa now you know (laughs) as my buddy josh gondelman said in a (laughs) in a comics jason momoa it's as if the rock owned a craft brewery (laughs) oh man well what do you got what do you more fun is it a great great uh, one it is a great well it's it's an okay one uh, on this day in 1982, Survivor started not not the TV show. The band started a six week run at number one. That's always my worst one when I have to say six one week and run. One. <laughs> Can't do it. Can't bleep and do it. All right. Uh, on the U.S. singles chart with Eye of the Tiger, taken from the Rocky Three film, it also won number one in the U.K. Survivor won a Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance for the song. So. Denny, I got to say this because I, I, I feel like I've texted you this a bunch over the course that we've done this podcast. Every time when I'm out, and it, whether it be a bar, sporting event, something like that, and I hear Eye of the Tiger, I think, you know, I think it's time we got to hang Eye of the Tiger from yeah. the rafters. I've never said this publicly, but I want to know, Benny, what are your top five songs that should be retired slash hung from the rafters? I love Eye of the Tiger, by the way. <laughs> what a song. I mean, I can't, 50% of the time I sit behind a drum kit, I can't help but go, dun, 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 dun. You know, sometimes the dumbest shit is the catchiest yeah. shit. And I give credit to Survivor. That song has lasted a long time. Long. Now, when you pose this question to me, there is two that came to mind right off. And I think it's because it's tied to like one of my least favorite things in the world. Which is young, drunk mobs of white people, (laughs) particularly young and very drunk. And there's two songs that they really love. One is Sweet Caroline and one is All Star by Smash Mouth. I could I could never hear a, a second of either of those songs again. And I'd be happy. And even though another bad song would replace it. Uh, I would love those ripped from the cultural narrative. You know, what's funny, though. I saw a video a few days ago of a bunch of like, you know, college aged drunk women going nuts to All Star by Smash Mouth. And I was like, why is this even happening? And then I show my kid Shrek yesterday. Ah, there we go. I realize it's the first song in Shrek. So if you're like a 20 year old person yeah. now. This song has nothing to do with Smash Mouth. No. They don't know who the fuck that is. The fact that the guy you know, wore the spiky hair and the terrible bowling shirts and just looked ridiculous. <laughs> like the cultural narrative part about the song is gone for that younger generation, which I think is what happens as these things go on. So, you know, the exercise we're playing right now, I philosophically deny. <laughs> you need to know. Yeah. But... I'll still play it. One other one that should hang up was pretty fly for a white guy. Um, I got what they were trying to do then. I get what they're trying to do now. I thought it was tongue in cheek, but if you don't see the video and you don't know the fact that they were like a punk band who had a tongue in cheek nature about them sometimes in this, like that song could just be taken the wrong way. Uh, Really bad. Um, that was the big top three, I thought. Of. Yeah. What, what are some of your hits? All right. I'm going to start at, at five and go to one. Okay. And these right. are some. I, I think I'm going to tell on myself with the error that 
a lot of these came out in. Um, so number five, I just died in your arms. Get it out of here. Hard right. disagree. Oh, hard see, disagree. I knew I was doing this a little bit as a pro- yeah. provocateur agent with the era. Yeah, you're I coming played. in with the 80s ballads for me? Are you <laughs> oh, nuts? You're going to hate it with four then. Oh, no. Okay, time out. There's no Madonna on this list. Okay, but thank four, goodness. Eternal Flame, Bangles. Bad song. Bad song. Okay, great. Bad song. There, there, there we can. Good agree. group. Bad song. Yeah. Okay and with that. I don't know. Um, number three, Funky Town. It's just like, why is it still? Because it why? makes you dance. There's some. There's some. There's that. That's the like. That's the upside to that song. It doesn't matter yeah. what they're saying. There's a hook and it makes you dance. It's good for your butt. You know. But like it's not disco, it's not eighties, it's like somewhere in like that weird mix yes. of like purgatory. Yes. Yeah. Not a credible song. <laughs> um number two, number two, okay. Uh-oh. Love Shack. B fifty twos. See see you later. Uh, see, that's a tough one. That's kind yeah. of like a shiny happy people, uh, you know, like semi charmed life kind of thing where it's like it's like by far the most like pop over the top song from a very good group, you know, but the thing about those songs is like, I might've never heard of that group if it wasn't for that song. I mean, I guess rock lobster would have made its way to me (laughs) at some point, but that's the reason I appreciate a song like that. And I mean, it's got a line in it that goes, I've got me a Chevy. It's as big as a whale. And it's time to set. Sale. Yeah. Fred Schneider, come on. Can't from New it. Jersey. He's from your oh, well, neck of the woods. Come you know, on. We've done we've done a lot of great things. <laughs> but, um, All right. All right. And then number one on the list, I gotta round it out with Eye of the Tiger. Listen, great song. It just has been overexposed. It's one of those things where it's like, listen, everything <sighs> it's it, it's fine about it, but I think when you get overly saturated, things get stale. N- Listen, none of this list is about the artistic achievement that any of these songs <laughs> were and what they captured. But in 2023, man, I think a lot of these have had enough. Okay. I mean, let me ask you, let me pose you this question. Yes, please. Have you were, ever ran up a flight of stairs in your life? <coughs> have I ever run up without a hearing that song in your head? Oh, I have a tiger. Absolutely not. Which is why it's going to last the test of time. That's what I'm saying. It's part it's part of the American cultural narrative, such as Sweet Caroline. So we should yeah. we should probably both get over it, I guess. Yeah, we hundred percent should. So right, let's move on. All right. Well, first headline today, Benny. Um, you know, speaking part of the American cultural narrative, uh Tony Bennett, the timeless stylist who has devotion to the American classic songbook, included songs like I Left My Heart in San Francisco, Rags to Riches, which, man, you can't think of the beginning of Goodfellas without thinking of that song. Yeah. Uh, he died on Friday, uh, just two weeks short of his birthday at the age of 96. What an unbelievable life he had here. Um, you know, he, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in, in 2016, but was a, a big civil rights activist. You know, when you talked about uh, he was in the uh, the Martin Selman, 1965. Uh, he went and visited with Nelson Mandela, and um, during that time, and then you know he also uh, sung at the White House on two different occasions: one for John F. Kennedy, once for Bill Clinton, and then to you know also did sung for the Queen's 50th Jubilee as well. Uh, some of the songs, like I mentioned, uh, 
rags to riches best is yet to come just in time left my heart in san francisco i want to be around uh frank sinatra uh who ben, who bennett uh considered a mentor and, and a friend said quote for my money tony bennett is the best singer in the business Boy, I kind of did the Sinatra impression a little bit right there. Uh, he excites me when I, I watch him. He moves. Uh, he He's a singer who gets across what the composer has in his mind and probably a little bit more. Uh, high praise from Sinatra right there. But the life of Tony Bennett, what do you think of when you when you if I say Tony Bennett, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, you know, what's funny is like, I feel like in a lot of ways he was the longest lasting musician of a time, Yeah, you know? So it's like, for me, someone born in the eighties, Tony Bennett to me was like the, the last man standing of this crew. And, but like, as you said, did it with uh, a kindness and like a grace was often on the right side of history with some complicated things. So an extremely easy guy to like and root for. It's not like, I've ever sat down and really like gone through the Tony Bennett discography. You know what I mean? Um, I think like he got a lot of new life with Lady Gaga and that partnership towards the end of his life. That was a really beautiful thing to watch too. You know, some of their moments on stage were like pretty stunning and just seeing how much someone like her revered Tony, you know, proper New Yorker born Long Island city died in Manhattan 20 Grammy Awards, saying the original New York State of Mind, you know, like I get some love for that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just class act. And it's it's like, it, what, what could you say negatively about a person? And if you're in the public narrative for 60 plus years, as he was, and you can't really say many bad things about him, I mean, testament to the guy for the way he lived his life and, and his great music. He did the thing in the 60s and 70s when rock and roll was coming on the landscape and everything like that. He tried to stick with it, but and he kind of hit that down point in his career where it's either like, okay, be what you're going to be or try to reinvent yourself. And then his son came along because, you know, he, he was battling addiction during that time. And his son, I believe, or his, his manager at the time comes along and is like, hey, what you were is how we're going to ride this thing forward. And instead of, you know, trying to be the new artist, he collaborated with the the artist. And I think that that really worked. You know, there's that Lady Gaga collaboration that you talked about. There's also like the Amy Winehouse one, which right. opened. I mean, I, I he, they recorded that two weeks before she passed away at the age of, of 27. So just a unbelievably almost third act for Tony Bennett there. So that's uh, true. What a voice. And that's the, to, to any, any musician or artist coming behind him, that's the way to do it, you know? And be true to yourself and people will, people will jump on, you know? A hundred percent. Well, Benny, this weekend at the box office, we had two films that are very much true to themselves. Uh, did you see either Barbie or Oppenheimer this week? I haven't caught either yet. I haven't. Uh, my, I went to see uh, the Spider-Man the multiverse movie instead okay, all right. so well, far well, quite good quite good but quite go. good that's good yeah well, but they seem good I, I plan to check both of them out if i'm not sure the uh double header or not oh i'm trying to do that i'm, I'm trying to see oppenheimer on the 70 millimeter because you know that i geek out about that type of stuff <laughs> but barbenheimer as it's been noted exploded this weekend generating 235 million dollars in sales 
um, Barbie totaled around 155 million, and then the biopic Oppenheimer brought in about 80.5 in its debut. Uh, the final numbers for the weekend came out today. So with the writer strike going on, the actor strike, it's kind of a kumbaya moment for the industry that everybody, both you know, the studios and everybody that's protesting, can kind of feel good about it. So what do you make of uh, this Barbenheimer weekend having the highest, having the best weekend at the box office since pre-COVID? I mean, I, it's obviously smart and kind of cool, you know, double featuring these films. I, I feel like it's funny. It's when I when this happened, I was like, you know what? They don't do double headers in baseball anymore. So <laughs> this is cool, yeah. you know, and it's because nobody wants to sit at a stadium for eight hours. But, you know, these days, uh, edibles are legal in half the states. You can get like, you know, mozzarella sticks and a beer. You could like proper hang out. Like, why don't you? You know, and maybe this is a thing where they're going to be turning it into more of a night. What if you do this with a uh, dinner service in between or something like that? I think it's opening up options. And I like when they do stuff like this. Uh, it's uniquely to like very American movies, you know, that are going to work here. Um, I kind of like the idea of people in the pop culture sort of taking these movies in from what I understand of the Barbie movie, it's done in a way that's, uh, you know, presenting very well. And then just I, I like when a name like Oppenheimer, who most historical layman's had no idea what that was, learn about what that was and how scary it was and how tense it was and how close everything came. And like, uh, you know, one of my. Yeah, biggest things I'll go down, you know, fighting for is the idea that you have to know history and you have to have some borderline education to to not uh, repeat the, the mistakes of the past. So I think a movie like Oppenheimer being out there in public and a lot of people go to see it, I think it's just generally a good thing. And it looks like a good film. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Big weekend for directors. Christopher Nolan, I mean, people liked Tenet and stuff like that, but he kind of needed uh, a, you know, he he hasn't quite had a, a moment like this in a while. And then Greta Gerwig, the first female director to gross this much money at, as well. Is that uh, right? Cool. Ha, has been a big fan of her. You know, like you got have Francis Ha, then you have um, the Little Women adaptation that that's he did. So big weekend for her and then also margot robbie has had a couple of tough films recently uh to kind of come back out with this a movie that she both starred in and also helped produce uh to try and get back on on top almost to uh wolf of wall street levels for her except more because she she has skin in the game in this one awesome stuff all around and also like the reemergence of ryan gosling as someone that people are like oh that guy right Love it. Yeah, yeah, that was good to see for sure. And I hope that he, he pops up in some more stuff. I'm a fan myself. Yeah, big fan. And hope, hopefully we get some more music from him. That's <laughs> I am just going to keep trucking on that and, until it, it happens. I yeah, know, I'm but. good on that. I'm good on that. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, Benny, let's get to something. You know, I, I, I tried to delay the story as long as possible, but we are a music podcast. We do talk about what's going on in the world of music. And let's talk about this Jason Aldean situation. So Jason Aldean, the country singer, came out with this song called Try That in a Small Town song. 
Um, and before, you know, we get into it, talk about it, I just want to read some of these lyrics to you because, you know, this is the part where we'd normally play the music video. I don't, we don't need to give this guy any more shine yeah, than we're already yeah. doing here. But let me just read some of these lyrics to you, okay? He goes, sucker punch somebody on the sidewalk, carjack an old lady at a red light, pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. Yeah, think it's cool. Well, comma, act a fool if you like. Okay, well, the the, the coded language there is pretty obvious, but we mm -hmm. continue. Uh, cut out, a, cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah, comma. I love his use of punctuation in this. Uh, <laughs> you think you're tough. Well, try that in a small town. And it can see, it, it proceeds to go down the line and every time you think that the lyric is 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 going to get better, it doesn't. He says, got a gun that my granddad gave me. They say one day they're going to round up. Well, that shit might fly in the city. Well, that shit might fly in the city. Good luck. Try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. And here we can take care of our own. You cross the line. It won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't. This try is that too much. Too much that. of this. Too much. I stop, don't like that my voice. Stop reading the lyrics. Stop reading these lyrics. Yeah, that's enough. I don't need any more of that. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, wait, so the first thing I'm not going to do is like pretend like this is a new thing, you know, and that's one of the things I think the again, like when something like this happens, I can't help but think like you know, there's like almost liberal intellectuals at keyboards, like licking their chops when something like this comes out, because now you get to deep dive some dumb shit and, you know, look into a historical aspect and this and that and and kind of make it sound smart and deep dive it in a way where you're trying to find out what is the uh, psychological and emotional uh, impetus for speaking this way. And what this is nothing new. This whole, like, Hank Williams did this. Uh, a million country artists have done the city boy versus country boy thing. You know, there's the lifestyle that they have, the lifestyle that other people have that they don't miss, and mine is better. You know what I mean? I, I do find it kind of hilarious that there's never any other songs the other way. You know, no one's ever just like writing absolute songs like you take your, you know, fucking guns and come to the city and see what happens or or like, let's you know move the city and we'll go to your small town and and we'll take you out. And, you know, that's the one thing about this that seems to be like a, a, a creeping narrative about all of this that I just want to shake some of these guys sometimes and be like, hey. No one is coming after you. Stop it. Like, this is like a, a self-created fascination that there's this thing coming. And there's just this, like, over-the-top paranoia. Like, the fucking Walking Dead is real. And I think they watch too much fucking TV. And I think they don't read enough. And I think they don't know what's actually going to fuck on. And it's just this like really like veiled, thin, basic kind of shit. And the thing that always is extra ironic to me is I find it always to be like just these capitalist hawks. Like they say, like everything they say required to survive, right? In this scenario is a giant company who has them by the balls. 
gun manufacturers, Ford trucks, Chevy trucks, Budweiser, like all this shit that they talk about in their songs that is adding to apparently their cultural identity. It's just corporate bullshit. And you're just sucking like you think you're self-sufficient and anti-government and you're just sucking on a different teat. And this is where like if you take a big step back from this, I think a song like this and thoughts like this are just another way for people to sell us war, to sell us division and to sell us shit, to sell us news, to sell us ads, to sell us guns, to sell us trucks, to sell us beer. They fucking love it. And uh, so that being said, I'm going to take the high road. You know, like I'm not going to get into some pissing contest with Jason Aldean, who proudly says in his press statements that I haven't read a book since high school. <laughs> well, good for you, Jason Aldean. You're really helping here. You're helping America. You're helping us all get this worked out and get to the same place together. I hope uh, your small town knows how to negotiate peace with the Ukraine and Russia. You know, like get a fucking grip. That's my take on it. I just wonder like what he's trying to sell because he's rich enough that the things that he don't that he thinks are allegedly coming for him, like his money can kind of take care of that. He's, he's made trying, over yeah. the course of his career. I mean, do you think like that's where it's the same thing as a lot a lot of these people do if he thought that eighty percent of his listening audience was gonna hate this, would he do it? No, it's safe. He's just no. pandering to the shit he knows is safe for him and his listening audience. And and that's it. Do I think this guy has like some real moral stand to this stuff? Also, another thing is like, what are you talking? Are you talking about Nashville? You Ooh. talking about Memphis? Oh. You talking about Atlanta? You talking about like uh, Winston-Salem? Are you talking about just your cities? Or yeah, our you- cities? <laughs> like yeah. what cities are you talking about? What because small town too? <laughs> I like are you really going out there and touring America and doing small town tours? Is that where those arenas you're playing are? You know what I mean? Like, like, like how much can you even take from somebody like this? Some fucking rich as fuck touring guy going around the live nation venues and big cities (laughs) all around America writing songs like this. Like, come on, man, like get a fucking grip, Jason Aldean. There's something really human nature about like the like the quote idea of like something's coming for you, though, that I think goes back the way before, like the rise of industrialism, when like there was actually like hunters and like you, you, you didn't have all of, like the modern protections that we have. Sure. I think that there's a lot of people that still because that isn't there and they don't feel totally secure with, you know, the the modern security things were like fi- financially, maybe, maybe some other things that they look at these overarching uh, threats against them that are amplified by these corporations that are only leaning conservative because they want right. the tax breaks. Right. And they spew that out through the Fox news and, and the other conservative channels. And it just creates this like cycle that is just dangerous. And then we get an art like this. Yeah. And then you're going to get some, psychopath in a small town walking into a school and shooting more fucking kids what are were you sitting there in your truck sipping a beer waiting for that guy to 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 handle it no like what you're saying is the thing that's making innocent people get murdered it's not bringing someone to your doorstep you know and i think that's the misconception that's crazy just absolutely crazy 
And the idea that there's not rednecks in cities. That's very like, true. There's a lot. All right. Do we need a, a palate cleanser? Please. I, yeah. Please. Uh, All right. Maybe something cold and cold and refreshing. Cre- creamy. Absolutely. I got that coming right up for you. All right, Benny. Cher says that she's getting into the dessert business. The singer posts on social media that she's launching a gelato brand. My question for you, are you buying gelato from an Armenian and Irish woman? Sure. All right, cool. Me too. Good gelato? Why not? Yeah. I don't know who owns fucking Rita's or like anything like that. Like, yeah. No, I'll definitely I'll give I'll give Shalato a try. No, I think it's cool. Cher's awesome, man. 77, dating guys in their 30s, fucking opening gelato companies. Like, what are you supposed to do when you're 77 and super rich and got a lot of time in your hands? You know, maybe she this is like the fun stuff I think about being rich. Yeah. Is like, you know, seven years ago or something, like Cher was just sitting there eating gelato. It's like, man, I really fucking love gelato. This shit's great. <laughs> Wouldn't I love to see this and this? Oh, wait, I have enough money to do it. And then seven years later, here you are with a gelato company. I hope it gets huge. I hope uh was I heard one of the flavors being proposed is if I could turn back lime. Oh, let's go. You know, come on. There's so many opportunities all for share in the gelato business. So when history books goes like mega platinum 16 times over, what's going to be your gelato share business? I think I think I'll do some synergy with share. You know, oh, like I'll start just like hawking the gelato. I'll do the commercials. <laughs> brand deals. Look yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brand deals. Gaslight Anthem tour brought to you by gelato i love it yeah share if if you're listening sign this guy (laughs) all right well from gelato to the nfl and guys all complaining that the market for them has completely dried up which the market has not dried up for share gelato it's very much a booming enterprise right there huge but several nfl stars got on a Zoom call on Saturday to discuss the dwindling running back market. Uh, Cleveland Browns running back Nick Chubb confirmed on Sunday uh, that he participated in a call with Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey. This all comes after a offseason where uh, running backs like Saquon Barkley um, and Jacobs had to sign um, – Long term, oh no, they, they had to sign franchise tags because their organizations would not offer them uh, long term contracts. Uh, so yeah, a, a interesting off season and a, a trend's been happening for a couple of years now with uh, running with teams not wanting to invest in running backs because of how quickly uh, their careers end up. So Benny, got the question for you here: What is the market for running backs, and is this a actual problem, or or do you see this changing in the future? Mm, I mean, it's a problem, but it's a problem for running backs. Yeah. It's not a problem for anyone else because the league is doing great. A lot of other positions are doing great. And I think there was a time where an offensive lineman would say the same thing a running back would say. We're underpaid, massively underpaid. And now a left tackle can make himself 20 million guaranteed a year. Uh, You know, when I was a kid, the fullback was a very important thing in football. Every team had a fullback. You need that guy. You had to throw him a few rushes a game, had to sit there and block everything in the I form. 
And I don't know if there's a fullback in the league anymore. I can't name you one. I think Jordan Kuhn was the last guy. Yeah, like <laughs> I know there's a couple guys who were such good blockers. They're kept on rosters, but you know, they're essentially like, uh, yeah, converted tight ends at this point, you know, with, with the way they play and with the, with the passing style of the game. So as I do feel bad for these guys and I love the running back position, and I love watching a fucking dominant running back work. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to watch is when an offense is clicking and you can run down the field. That is an extremely satisfying thing to watch in football when the the point of attack and the line of scrimmage is owned by one side and there's just a runner that you cannot stop from getting four to five yards of carry. It's fun to watch. And I enjoy it. And I love, so this isn't me having some uh, position against the running back position. If anything, I think I'm pro running back. I would love for Saquon Barkley to be locked up right now. And this not going into the Giants season, which I really don't like. I think he's a great player. He's uh, generationally good when he's healthy. Um, but I think over the years, you've watched a number of high profile running backs get major deals not be able to play through those deals for a number of reasons. And that coupled with the fact that we just have a different league played a different way with different values. It's like, as much as I feel bad for these guys, there's kind of like a the fuck we going to do guys. Like this is just kind of the way stuff goes. Like, I, so I, I am empathetic, but I, I don't think anything's going to change. Yeah, I mean, when you look at a, a NFL team, what are the positions that, that value that lead to winning most? You look at your offensive line, you look at your defensive line, your quarterback probably first and, and foremost. Then you look at the guys at the skill positions and the wide receivers and everything. Here, Here's where I think that this is going to go with, with football, and you see this a lot more in, in college and at, at the high school level. You, you see a, a lot more of these uh, people running like, the play action people are uh, moving all all over um pre-snap and stuff like that so rather than your running back being in the backfield you have these wide receivers that are coming over like pre-snap take taking a handoff and going 16 million different directions it's right. almost more reminiscent of what we saw in football like a hundred years ago where like people try to run the triple option stuff like that except it's like more spaced out over the entire duration of the field so it's sad for the running back market but i i think we're going to see less guys that are strictly running backs in the future and more guys that can play numerous positions positionless football if you will yeah that's true and that's where you know uh you have to adapt right like you know the um concept of the blocking tight end who who can't you know catch it all like that's kind of gone away like so as you said i mean the the position and the people playing it have to adapt and that's the point we're at now you know as much as i love watching the derrick henry work I don't know many football teams that are going to hand the Derrick Henry the ball 35 times a game anymore. Yeah. Sad, sad to see. Cause you know, you like, you think of some of the all time great guys in, in the oh, history yeah. of the game where guys that just jam it down your throat, but it's not, it's not, it's not where we're going. So. Yeah. And, and does it affect winning football? You know, yeah. like, like, uh, you know, look at the last, um, I think the last, uh, uh, running backs that won, um, MVP. I'm sorry. The last running backs that were on Super Bowl championship teams were guys like Sony Michelle. Yeah. And, you know, like just these random guys who could 
get you a few yards when you need it, but nothing is based around them. So yeah, like, and you know, a lot of the best running backs in history were on losing teams too. Barry Sanders, you know, being a big example of that, like that guy could do a million things on a field, but it never translated to winning. Yeah. I mean, we don't talk enough about your giants on here, but look at how long that they've been trying to build up both of, of the lines to try to create a, a contender. Right. And it's finally just happened. And they've had Saquon for most of that time. It's, it, it's just really sad, but yeah, it's the state of the game. I mean, you give a gaping hole to most professional running backs and they'll get through it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. One NBA story today. The NBA Board of Governors has approved the sale of the Charlotte Hornets uh, from Michael Jordan to Rick Snell and Gabe Plotkin. Uh, This ends Jordan's 13-year run as majority owner. Uh, now Now, that may be like a not interesting story to you. Here's the great story. The Board of Governors vote was 29 to 1. So one owner of uh, said, I don't want Michael Jordan selling this team. Can you guess what owner that was? I don't. James Dolan. Oh, What's yeah? Up? What's up, James Dolan? Wow, Why okay. do you want to keep okay. MJ from okay. making $3 billion? Wow. Maybe he had a JD in the straight shot show that, <laughs> that M- MJ answer. didn't come to. <laughs> like, you said you were going to come. You RSVP'd. I put you on the list. Um, so I saw this story, and as you know, my quick reaction is like, Oh no, Jordan, like you own your team. I like that. He owns a team, blah, blah, blah. But then you see that he paid $270 million. He's about to make 3 billion. Michael Jordan's a smart guy. And you know, if there's, uh, is this indicative of a red flag for Charlotte? Cause that's kind of what I think. Like, like say Charlotte just drafted Victor Wembenyama. Is Michael Jordan selling the team? I know this was in action before the draft, but like, is he, is he selling the team in that case? I think right now he's looking at the same thing. A lot of people are looking at, which is I got uh LaMelo ball maxed out. I just drafted Brandon Miller who had a very questionable summer league and you know the way I think about that. That's going to be an all-time shit. We should have taken Scoot Henderson pick. Uh, you know, you're bringing back Miles Bridges, who just sat out a year for domestic violence, uh, and you're taking a year flyer on him. This is an extremely unlikable team with prospects of going into the playoffs at least two years away still, regardless of the kinds of moves they make. And Jordan saw 2.3 billion or yeah, no, $2.7 billion in revenue, you know, extra just cash, cash in pocket to do this. So yeah, I think he's like, yeah, the getting's good. It's a lot of fucking money. I can go buy another team if I want being this rich and I'm getting out of Charlotte. I'm done with this this business and this team. I have to wonder, you know, we, we, we've seen an influx in NBA owner. sell. uh, we saw, uh, what was it? Eat no last read from the buck cell. Jordan's out. Uh, there's been expansion talks. I don't think this is the last we've seen of Michael Jordan, maybe no, in like, like the not. full capacity. I think so many of these guys are eyeing Vegas because I think that becomes, goes from 3 billion to, you know, with, with the next TV contract and, and everything coming up. Uh, I, I think the, the idea of owning a team in either Mexico city or Las Vegas or heck even Seattle is way more uh, appealing, um, for a potential investor that and recently Michael 
has really gotten into investing in motorsports, which also seem to be exploding. So Mike always seems to be on the precipice yeah. of what's about to make a, a boat ton of money. And I think his uh, his his crotch rocket investment is going to really pay off. Is there any um, restrictions on an owner selling and being part of an ownership group almost right away? Like, is there like a I don't a think window like a is there no. like a sunset clause there where he can't do it for a while. I don't think so. Or can he just jump right back? He, in? he could jump into whatever team he wants. Yeah. So this is going to be, let me guess the LeBron James, Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan, magic Johnson ownership group in Las Vegas, in Las Vegas playing next to the sphere. Oh man. I saw the sphere last week. Oh yeah. The, the sphere. Time. Oh, you saw it in person. I saw it in person. You fly in and it has it looking like the moon. It's oh crazy. really? It's pretty cool. It's, and it looks pretty crazy. I hope one day you guys get to play there. Cause that'd be like Benny. Cause it's a whole visual experience. I am playing Vegas in the fall, but I oh. believe I'm playing the beauty bar. So the Sahara. I had yeah, a great time yeah. at the Sahara, but uh, anyway, uh, Michael I'm doing a month at the sands. <laughs> Everybody come sands. down. Yeah. It was, you know, I know we've talked a bunch on, on the pod about, you know, like, oh, the, dude, give me a casino residency. <laughs> I'm in my forties. Let's do it. Come on. I'll take one third of my scratch every night. Gamble it. I'll, uh, become addicted to Las Vegas, $18 buffets. It's going to be great. The Westgate was kind of eerie to like be there and like have like the whole like they've got all like the Elvis stuff there and like oh, we know yeah. exactly what happened and I lost a bunch of money there so it's like <laughs> screw the Westgate but the Sahara oh my gosh Rat Pack vibes tables were hot love it that's awesome yeah that that uh that so thing that looks pretty crazy. crazy we'll see we'll see Las Vegas not ever the biggest market for us but we'll see oh all right well. You know, you think you'd have that killer's gaslight crossover synergy, but who knows? All right. Uh, but yeah, Michael out. Um, that was my summer league recap all in, in one answer. So let's move on to baseball. All right. All right. The tra- MLB trade deadline is coming up and everybody wants to know, will the Los Angeles Angels trade Shohei Otani? Uh, the Japanese sensation having one of the greatest seasons in major league history and he's probably going to have one of the highest price tags too uh otani is currently in the middle of a historic season uh 35 plus home runs all all that good stuff but let's talk odds here let's talk odds heading up to the deadline about where otani will finish the season we got angels 170 minus 170 excuse me we got dodgers Mm -hmm. plus 800 giants plus 900 further down the list we got the braves that at plus uh, 1,100, Yankees at plus 1,400, and if somehow Baltimore got on this list at plus 1,500. So Mar- Mariners not on that list? Mariners not on that list. They're on the on the other teams at plus 1,100. So yeah. if, if you were taking a wager on this, uh, which one of these would you feel best about? Definitely the Angels. You know, like, I, I, I don't think, you know, the way this team is constructed you know, Otani is not the only one they're invested in, right? Like they're invested in Rendon. They're invested in Trout. They put a bunch of money into some random pitchers that they were hoping panned out. So it's not like they trade Otani for a buttload of, you know, picks and things like that. It's going to be rough in Angels land for a long, long time. Now you still have to like, you still have fans of your team, right? And like, if you don't know one way or the other and you think 
essentially this. Do I think it would be the smart thing for the baseball team right now to trade him? Probably. Yeah. But this isn't paper. This is the real world. And I do think that if there's, you know, even if you're going into this going, I have a 50% chance of re-signing him, you can't trade him. And you got to try. You really do. Like, what are you supposed to do otherwise? I think the smart baseball move is to trade him. Uh, but if I'm putting my money anywhere, I think he remains on the angels. Um, they just, uh, won a few games right before the deadline. He looks great. Uh, trout's coming back. You know, some of the timeline works out okay because, you know, in the last few years, the angels have invested a lot in the draft and this is the first season it's starting to pay off. Zach Nito is one of their biggest prospects. He's going to be manning short. Uh, Maniac looks good. A couple of the relievers they have coming in look good. So you do have the perfect chemistry of timelines, which is Otani, Trout, a lot of the pitching staff is ready to go now, and you have kids coming up to supplement it. That's usually what works in baseball. Some of the teams besides the Dodgers that he's you know um, projected of potentially going to, I don't think he wins that much more there. And, you know, the big thing, like, we've seen a little bit of a track record now with international players. And things seem maybe a little different than to them than other. You know, we're talking Ichiro. We're talking uh, 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 Giannis, Jokic, you know, like like this. You know, maybe there is a track record here where an international player is like, you know what? I like it here. I still have a chance to win. I do have some aspect of loyalty. I mean, the angels to their credit have given this guy like full autonomy, you know, like he has his own schedule. He practices when he wants, he eats what he wants. He has uh, a dude who's with him 24 hours a day, like in the clubhouse, like they're catering to this guy about as much as they could. They gave him the opportunity to play both ways and actually did it successfully. So maybe there's, I, I really think he's staying with the angels. I think there's an interesting way that baseball people always look about their season, about the buyers and sellers at the deadline. And I, I think that can be a, a little bit dated. You know, it's like we, we've, we've updated every single thing about baseball, except for the fact that be like, oh, you're around 500 and don't really have a chance at, at the play, playoffs at the deadline. Let's sell. People will throw out these year, like these plans that they've been building for years just because they're 500 for one season. Stick this thing out. He's a generational talent. You have a lot of good guys on, on this team. I don't see what the rush is. And I don't know if if, if in baseball, I mean, granted, like he, he, he does have the expiring contract, but can you do sign and trades in baseball? You can. So it's like, what's the keep on, 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 unless other baseball GMs would not be like, hey, we're not going to give you anything because this guy's going to be fr free in like three weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could be it. You know, and that's the thing. It's another maybe testament, too, to what we saw in uh, basketball this season, what we've seen in baseball over the last few years. is The expanded wildcard system has also, there's, there's track record yeah. in the fact that all you got to do is get in. And you might make some noise once you're there, you know? So, you know, they're right there. They're not too far behind. They're a few games over 500 in a, you know, unsteady division. So you got Mike Trout maybe coming back before they expected, you know, um, 
And his, you know, and that's another thing is like Trout currently holds, I think, the second largest contract in baseball. And shit, I love Mike Trout as much as anyone, but the last few years are showing us like, I don't know if you're going to get more than three, 400 at bats with Mike Trout anymore. You know, like it's, it's looking kind of sketchy with that. So, um, you know, it's really, if they got rid of Otani at this point, I mean, what a grim, grim yeah. few years it's looking like for the angels. I just don't think they're doing it, man. Plus, if I'm Otani, I have to assume that I have a, a choice in this trade. And why would you not want to live in like Laguna Beach? Like that's yeah, your choice. Right. Like you're going to go from there yeah. to like the Bay Area. Like, come on, or like yeah, no, Baltimore. It's... Why is Baltimore on this list? Nobody I'm goes sure. from Laguna Beach. Yeah, I'm not. To that must be like a weird connection <laughs> thing. Yeah, I'm not sure where that came from. Maybe just because they're in first. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right, Benny. Well, last headline today, and boy, I've been waiting 50-plus minutes and change to get to this one. <laughs> Benny, we are on Dynasty Watch. We love a dynasty here at the tune-up. Uh, that's right. The United States women's national team is on their quest to be the first team in the history of either the men's or the women's World Cup to win the tournament three straight times. So that's right. Pele's Brazil's didn't do that. Those great German teams didn't do it. Nobody's done it. The U.S. women have a chance to do it right now. They kicked off their campaign uh, with a 3 nothing win over Vietnam. Uh, they got Netherlands and Portugal coming up uh, to Netherlands' great club. Uh, they, they faced them in the knockout stages of the 2019 tournament. Portugal, also a country on the rise in this. So uh, you know this is my stuff, but are you into the U.S. women's national team chasing a legacy like the Chicago Bulls with the daughter of Dennis Rodman on the team? Love it. Can't, can't I, make this stuff I, up. Yeah, I am into it. I think it's a lot of fun. And you know, for uh, even a novice uh, football fan as myself, um, the women's team has has grabbed my interest for the the last number of these tournaments because they're so good, and they have so many like you know um, uh, players that you're drawn to and knowable and likable at this point. Like I think women's soccer has done an excellent job of you know playing well and being consistent and building the thing. And there seems to be a lot of interest. So I am interested. I think it's awesome. I watched the game versus Vietnam, believe it or not. And uh, the one thing though, is like, I don't want to write this into stone yet because shit, those, those kids from Vietnam were trying real hard, <laughs> like, but just, the, the speed and size and strength disadvantage that they had was so palpable and they were in the game yeah. for like a lot of the game. Um, I mean, you know, score wise, they also like were not on the U S half of the field, I think more <laughs> than 30 seconds and, you know, in that first half. But so, you know, it was a pretty dominating win, but there was also still a window for Vietnam to sneak out a tie yeah. or sneak out something like that. So if if I saw like a an eight zero shellacking where they looked like a well oiled machine in that game, I'd say they're gonna you know run through everybody else right now. But I think there's a couple question marks to the team, and uh, so I'd like to see one of these marquee wins against one of the bigger countries to to understand it. Lot of you know, just like we talked about with the last World Cup, leading into this World Cup, a lot of injuries uh, for both teams. Like the U.S., they're missing a lot of people. England, who who won the Women's Euro, uh, they're missing a bunch of people as well. Germany, though. Uh, so when when it comes to to women's sports, right, and especially women's soccer, top three uh, leagues, as it were, you got France, Lyon's a power, Germany. 
Um, and then you got the Super League in England, and, and, and as well as the NWSL. Go mm-hmm. support your local NWSL team. Go Bats right here down the street. Gotham, let's go. Um, they got three girls on the team a- as well. But uh, I think what you saw in, in the first game is the head coach, uh, Vlatko Andonovsky, uh, rotating the squad a little bit. It's been three weeks since the going into the Vietnam game. They had three weeks where they didn't have a game. I, I think that that's a, a very tough road to, 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 to go down. But uh, no, when couple things to look at. Obviously, there's the people that everybody knows. You're Megan Rapinoe. You're Alex Morgans. Uh, Sophia Smith, though, uh, leading the NWSL right now with nine goals. Um, she, she's going to be a, a massive player for the next decade for the United States men's national team. Um, the, 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 the thing to keep an eye on is the back line. Mainstay Julie Ertz being back there. Uh, her, her, her husband, Zach Ertz. Um, and just a, just a real interesting situation there. Uh, you have a, a a player like Crystal Dunn, uh, who has been who's spent the better part of the last decade being the outside back. Uh, she's moved into the midfield just because you know that that left end that left midfield in particularly has, has kind of needed some help. So they've been looking for answers there. Uh, but the U.S. women in great position. A lot of young players. You know, you've got Trinity Rodman that, that I mentioned. She's 20 years old. Alyssa Thompson. She plays for Angel City. 18 years old. Um, then you have Sophia Smith, also a young player as well. So you have a 38 year old in Megan Rapino on the team, but then you also have an 18 year old in Alyssa Thompson who just graduated high school. So lot to look forward to for the U S yeah. Very cool. When is the next game? Uh, next game is the 26th. So mark right. your calendars. I think it is a Wednesday, prime time game. Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday, prime time. So let's go USA. That's right. And don't mess with these, uh, don't mess with these small town kids. <laughs> We're doing that. Yo, yo, before we get out of here, Fox is wild for their coverage because I, 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 on one hand, they're reaping the benefits from like record number of coverage and stuff like that. But uh-huh. then the Fox News website will also be like, these girls aren't aren't standing or doing anything for the anthem again. Uh, yeah, it's like they're course. playing both sides of their same aisle. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, they're good at that. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. They're good at uh, talking good. talking out of the other side of their mouth. It's it's a skill. Oh, man. All right. Well, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. Follow us on, uh, well, on Instagram, TikTok, and it's now called X. Twitter officially oh, as that, of today, it is now okay. called X. Okay. So we're not even giving Elon our time, but tune up HQ everywhere you're at. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, if, if you're watching now, thank you very much. Just hit the subscribe button right there and you'll see whenever we come on. Uh, if you want to follow the big man on Instagram to see, you know, who the next music legend he's going to drop a, a song with, uh, <laughs> it's Benny Horowitz on Instagram. I'm at Denny Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Uh, you know, everybody love everybody out there and, uh, let's keep it positive. Let's have a good week. I love it. Uh, pre-save history books right there. All right, the show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to and watching The Tune-Up. <laughs>